everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. It is currently tipping down with rain outside and pretty gloomy as I record this. So I really do hope it's a bit sunnier wherever you are listening to this today. If we haven't met yet, firstly, hello, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did slash the one asking the questions throughout this chat. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back and thank you so much for tuning in as always to the podcast that aims to uncover absolutely everything female founders are pushing through behind the scenes here in the UK. The good, the bad and the more often than not oh so challenging to not just launch but run and grow and sustain their businesses to date. Now before we get going on this week's episode, those of you that listen regularly will know that this podcast is sponsored by Tide Business Current Accounts, aka the business current account dedicated to over 200,000 startups, founders and freelancers that I've been banking with ever since I switched to being a limited company at the end of 2018. But this week, I also wanted to let you know that they also happen to be the only place in the UK where you can register a limited company and open a business account in one process for free. Now, nobody likes a sales pitch, do they? But it's a service which I so, so wish had been available back in 2018 because it definitely would have streamlined the whole process for me personally. And Tide cover the £12 company's house incorporation fee too. So you can start your business journey now as a limited company with Tide for free. Essentially, for those of you that want to set up as a limited company or switch from being a sole trader to a limited company like I did, all you need to do is basically search the company name you would like, so I would have put in She Can, She Did Limited, enter your personal and business details, and in a matter of minutes, your limited company application will be sent, your Tide Business current account will all be set up, and you're good to go. It's also worth noting that Tide have no monthly fees, they have all the fancy perks you could want and need from a business account, including account integrations, easy invoicing, scheduled payments, member perks, etc, etc. They really are pretty great. So please do have a peek at www.tide.co forward slash start if you are interested or of course follow the link in the show notes. Right, with that said and done, this week I had the pleasure of chatting to Lauren Arms, founder of the global platform for forward-thinking brands, entrepreneurs and investors specifically in the wellness industry that is Well To Do Global, a company that she launched five years ago with a logo designed in Microsoft Paint by Lauren herself, I should add that now comfortably turns over six figures annually through its successful event series, annual summit, careers platform and industry-leading news. From the early days prior to launching Well To Do Global, when Lauren spent her days toying with the idea of launching everything from a healthy coffee alternative to London's latest juice bar, and how she stayed motivated before landing on the idea for Well To Do, why she stopped treating personal development as a nice-to-have and instead embraced it wholly as an essential tool for growth, both personally and professionally, that is. How she navigates the fine line between growing and nurturing a really close team whilst not being afraid to broach difficult conversations as a boss, to how a declined card forced her to shift her mindset towards money and her advice for female founders who might not feel comfortable dealing with numbers. There were so, so many parallels between Lauren's experience and my own journey launching She Can, She Did, so much so that I could have quite easily stayed on this Zoom call for hours. So I really do hope you find what she has to say as inspiring as I did. As always, I hope you enjoy it. Lauren, have you got your coffee? Have you got a tea? Are we all good? 
I actually didn't have time to make a coffee. I was going to, but I've been doing green juices in the morning the last few days. So I've had my green juice and I've got some water. So let's do it. <laughs> oh, you're dreamy. You're putting me to shame with my coffee. No, that definitely is usually me, believe me. <laughs> Lauren, I mean, I feel like I've actually wanted to interview for so long. So can you please tell me in your own words what your business is all about? And we will go from there. Yeah, Wolfie, thank you so much for having me on your incredible podcast. I really admire everything you do. I launched Well To Do five and a half years ago. And when I say I launched Well To Do, it was very scrappy to begin with. It was a DIY WordPress blog with a logo that I made in Microsoft Paint. And I was working in a corporate job at the time. I felt deeply unfulfilled. I'm sure that's a common thread with some of your other guests. I had this yearning to take a bit more control of my life and do something with a deeper meaning behind it. And ultimately, it's finding that sense of fulfillment in your work that really spurred me to start exploring, okay, what could entrepreneurship look like for me? So well to do is now a global industry platform for industry professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and anybody curious about the business of wellness. But it has certainly evolved into that over the last five and a half years based on garnering an understanding of what's going on in the global wellness industry. So in short, as a business, we run events, we produce enormous amounts of content, insights, trends around the business of wellness. So how consumers are reacting to this idea of wellness and what's driving and motivating people to consume wellness in its many different formats. We provide consultancy services to help businesses to grow in that space. And we also run a careers platform, so welltodocareers.com, that allows people to also find a job in the wellness industry. Not much so then. our mission, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our mission in a nutshell is we help people build incredible businesses and careers in the wellness industry. Let's go back a few steps though. What was it? Why did you feel so unfulfilled in your job? What was it about the corporate job that was weighing down on you, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, I sort of fell into the world of business. When I finished school, I performed really highly at school. I was super ambitious, worked really hard, got myself into a position where I could do any university degree that I wanted to. So I ended up studying psychology and within six months of starting that degree, I felt this enormous sense of burnout and I felt that I'd chosen a career path based on getting into the hardest degree possible to maximize that effort that I'd put in. And over the sort of six months that followed, I ended up leaving university and going to work in an office doing the easiest thing that I could do, which was sitting on a reception desk, answering the phone. And I was suddenly in a position where I could finally just take all that pressure off myself and just do something really easy, make some money. And my plan had been to travel. And I remember the CEO calling me into his office and saying, I've looked at your CV. I've looked at your school results. What are you doing sitting on a reception desk, answering phones and doing data entry? And at that point, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And so he gave me this incredible opportunity to work in his business, sort of like on a rotor of moving around different departments. And he said, look, why don't you study business? You've got a passion for what you're doing here. You're interested in the world of business. And I was. And so off I went to, to do a full-time business degree and work full-time for this company at the same time. And I did that for three, four years. 
at the end of that period, after which they'd actually paid for my university education, I was in this really privileged position to have had a really deep dive experience into what running a business looks like from a private company perspective. And so I was having these great experiences. They'd given me this incredible role of being head of their international sales division, which sounds super bougie for it was a 24 year old at the time. And they were really backing me and mentoring me. And at the same time, the business that I was working for manufactured spray paint. So it was the most, for me, incredible experience in learning how to run a business, but with a product that I felt really unattached and unemotional about. And so while I had this amazing experience learning how to build businesses, I felt this yearning to align those skills with something that I felt more passionate about. And so I actually worked for that company for seven years in total. And then I packed my bags and I left Australia where I come from. And I moved to the UK thinking, you know, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder and find something that I feel more aligned with. So I went on that journey and I arrived in London and I realized that whilst I thought of myself as really ambitious, pretty experienced when you suddenly land in a city like London, you realize you've just joined the club. You're one of many, many talented, qualified people. It has a funny way of knocking you down a peg or two, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was like, I'm a tiny little fish in an ocean of incredibly talented and qualified people. And so, to be honest, I spent the next year and a half in really, again, kind of unfulfilling jobs, doing business development and marketing. And just sort of the picture that I describe is five o'clock would come and my swivel chair would be spinning because I'd have been out of there as soon as possible. And looking for ways to find fulfillment in other areas of my life because work just wasn't giving me that. I just didn't feel like I was selling or marketing anything that that I was vaguely interested in. So was wellness and exercise a kind of escape throughout that time? Was it bubbling away at the side? Yeah, that's spot on. I grew up in Australia, which for your audience, you think of Australia, you think of outdoors, you think of turmeric lattes and smoothies on the beach. Like (laughs) Australia has this sort of inherent wellness theme to its lifestyle. And so then when you move to a city like London and you're looking for your tribe of people, you're looking for new friends, new community. That was, as you say, when I left work, the type of people that I wanted to be around and the type of community I wanted to sort of align myself with. And that meant going and checking out cool new healthy cafes or yoga studios. Five years ago, this was a really new industry for the UK. And so it was these cool spin studios were opening and new healthy vegan or better for you snacks were launching into the market. And so, yeah, I think you're spot on. That was sort of an escape for me. And I started to research that. And actually, I took on this guise of after hours journalist and I would reach out to these people and say, hey, can I talk to you about what you're doing in the wellness industry and get to know more about you and your business and what motivates you? And As soon as I started to meet some of those people, I felt immediately like that was the industry that I wanted to work in. And that was the journey that I wanted to go on to be an entrepreneur. I always think that with the wellness industry, because like exercise is my go-to, I like switching off. And I always think that, you know, when you meet a fellow founder, you instantly have that in common. I feel like exercise is the same when you meet someone that appreciates exercise. 
like you it's instantly like bonds you do you know what I mean there's that connection and it's kind of like there's just a respect there that they also channel everything into that I don't know I don't know what I'm trying Mm. to say but I can appreciate why you'd want to be around that more so in terms of I suppose the steps then you're feeling unfulfilled in your day-to-day job I always think it's so easy to dream about running a business or wouldn't it be nice to work in wellness? And it's such a nice industry. So what or how did you go about actually, I suppose, following that that idea and getting the business off the ground back then? Yeah, I mean, prior to that, I had spent hours and hours outside of work and even sometimes during work hours or on my lunch break just madly researching the industry and opportunities and possibilities and just opening my eyes up to where this dream of working in wellness, as you say, could take me. And it led me to notebooks upon notebooks of ideas and business plans around. At one point, I wanted to create a coffee brand that had like a healthy twist to it. Speaking of coffee earlier, <laughs> um, I, I was looking at the, the women's cycling market and thinking maybe I'll make a clothing brand that is more representative of women in cycling because I was really in cycling at the time. I looked at healthy cafes. I looked at juice bar business models. I was just devoted to finding my big idea and I worked hours upon hours on ideas and talking to people about those ideas and framing them. What could that look like? What would I need to do? And then I suppose... I Sorry to butt in, but I meet some women at my events sometimes that they want to launch a business but haven't quite, I suppose, landed on that. What's your advice to them for holding your nerve throughout all of those conversations when you're just toying with ideas and you haven't quite found it yet? And people are sort of, I've been in conversations where I know someone's thinking, yeah, all right, Fee, we'll see. Do you know what I mean? And there's that cynical edge to that conversation when you're just trying to, I suppose, figure it out. What would you say to those women at that stage? Yeah, it's such a good question. I would say a couple of things. I would say trust the process, which is easier said than done, but trust that your idea will come and persist with exploring and researching and having those conversations. But also surround yourself with people who are going on that journey as well. So go to the events that that you run, the events where other female entrepreneurs are getting together and have been through that phase of ideation. Instead of talking to people who are maybe stuck in a corporate job and are telling you you're crazy, I didn't talk to my colleagues at work about my business ideas. Mm. I talked to other women that I was meeting at networking events. And so going to those was a key part for me. And I would say, when I say trust the process, from my experience and from so many other women that you've interviewed, yeah, you just have to believe that the idea will eventually come and that it's about persisting, but it's also about being playful, you know, yeah. and not being so serious about it. Like I have to find my idea and getting in kind of a gritty mode with it. It's about enjoying that process because the truth is you've got still some hard yards to come and we'll get into that. It's hard to build a business, but I actually look back on those days of seeing a world of opportunity and seeing there are so many things that I could do. And it's such a joyous time to reflect on, to think, you know, at that point, I had no idea what lay ahead. I would want any other woman to really enjoy that process and allow themselves the freedom to land on that thing. 
and also to try some things and to have them fail because I certainly tried certain things and realized it wasn't going to work or I'd need to raise enormous amounts of capital for that and I didn't want to be tied to an investor that early on. And the irony is that I started well to do because I hadn't landed on my idea yet. And so I thought, okay, well, what if I start this blog and I start interviewing people on how they found their idea and what motivated them to get in wellness? And actually, that accidentally turned into the business. That's exactly me with Shikan did. Literally exactly that. I thought, I know I want my business. I'll speak to female founders my age that have done it. That is so funny. And it goes from there. So, okay, so you start interviewing them. And I suppose the blogs that kind of lay some sort of community, I guess, a network starts to build. How did you, I suppose, get the name out there or at least get people to read them? Because, you know, you can write all you want, but until someone reads it, that's where the traction picks up, right? So I suppose, what was your approach to marketing in those early days? So it was really simple prolific content so putting out four or five articles a week even if they were short and I was by the way still doing this on the side of my full-time job I also figured that if I was adding value to whoever I was featuring or interviewing that they would be wanting to push that out to their channels as well and so it was sort of this partnership affiliate type model where I would add value to them and then they would add value to me by sharing that content. It was also the days when organic growth on Instagram was so straightforward. It was post as much as you can and your following will grow. It was super simple. And those days have gone in some ways and there's a lot more complexity to organic content growth. But at that point, there actually wasn't that much content in the UK market and particularly within the London community about new wellness propositions. And so I'd also tapped into a bit of a gap in the market without realizing it. And so often when you have a pain point, which for me was, I want to start a business in wellness, but I don't know where to start or what it's going to look like. All of a sudden I realized from that community piece that there were other people like me who were looking for resources. And so Instagram was a really powerful mechanism of pushing out content and just building community around it. Mm. and really asking those brands that I was featuring or talking about to share across their network. And then a big piece of the community building came when we started to run the first events. And that, again, just gets the word of mouth element, the conversation going, people sharing and telling people about what you're doing. And, And it was very organic. Yeah, it's quite funny. There's so many parallels. Do you remember a turning point where you realized that that was the business. If it did start organically, just to kind of, I suppose, muddle your way through to try and find what you wanted to do, what was it? Or can you pinpoint a time where you thought, actually, no, this is the business? Yeah. So I think early on, I spent a lot of time looking at what other people were doing and trying to mirror that because that was what success looked like. And so if they're doing that, I should do that too. Mm. And I think for the first time when I decided to run an event, I really owned my own creative idea and initiative and saw something that hadn't been done before, which was to get a panel of female entrepreneurs. And this doesn't sound unique right now because there are a lot of these events now. But at the time, getting a panel of three entrepreneurs who were building successful wellness businesses and inviting an audience of people to buy tickets and come along and be part of that conversation had not been done. So it felt scary. It felt like, what if this fails? What if nobody shows up? I reached out to Ella Mills, who you'll know as Deliciously Ella. And 
she'd never been invited to speak about her business before. Again, this is five years ago. She was talking about the consumer side of it and the lifestyle side of it, but she'd never been asked to talk about the business side. So that was a great opportunity when she said yes to reach her audience because Mm -hmm. she very kindly at the time promoted the event to her audience. And the moment tickets went on sale and we sold out within a day, I think it was 150 tickets. Um, It was still just me at that time. I'd recently left my job and it felt like things were really clicking into place. And I remember my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, he was at the door taking tickets and selling cash tickets on the door and which I found out later and said, we, we didn't have space for anybody else. But he was like, we just needed to get more people in the door. And, <laughs> you know, and it was a huge success. Yeah. And I think from that point, that was one of the pivotal moments for me where I realized the business of wellness is exciting to people. They want to work in it. They want to align themselves with it. They're curious about it. And so that became our mission to really help people to build a business in the wellness industry. Yeah, I love that. I always think though, you've done a lot of these events now, so they become, I suppose, more comfortable as you go. But that first initial event, it's your brand. You've got someone like Ella Mills there speaking. You've got all of those people coming with expectation. They're giving up their time. And putting myself in your shoes because of how I felt at the first mingle, that's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. How did you make sure you rose to the occasion? Did you have to kind of mentally prepare yourself or was it a case of just it came naturally? So there were elements of it that came naturally. I, for a long time, have done public speaking. And as a kid, I was on the debating team. I was doing drama. I didn't have a problem getting up in front of an audience. But that doesn't mean that I didn't feel absolute terror going into that event because there's a deeply emotional connection to this being the thing that is going to become my business and it has to work because so much rides on this and I want people to enjoy it. And so even though I felt really comfortable getting up and holding a microphone and talking to an audience of 150 people, that wasn't a problem for me. I still felt absolutely terrified that it wouldn't be valuable for people or that it wouldn't play out the way that I wanted it to. And in fact, like the air conditioning unit broke that night. And so people were super hot. And for some reason, we didn't have any water, like I'd completely (laughs) overlooked that. And so there were things that went wrong that evening. But in terms of preparation, for me, it was just, again, kind of going back to a little bit of that playfulness, you know, like, what's the worst that could happen? And even when you go there in your mind, there are already solutions. So it was for me, focusing on making it the best it could be doing the best I could with what I had. And just letting it play out. And just trying to enjoy it and and take it all in, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so funny looking back because we had like really terrible signage and like we were tying these little (laughs) blow up balloons up in the letters of well to do and they were all like (laughs) crooked and it was a mishmash. And I didn't have a team at the time. I had friends helping me put out chairs and It was messy and it was raw. But again, like I look back on that and I think that was so much fun. And I'm so glad that I did that because that was the first step that I needed Mm. to take to get to the polished event that we now run. Yeah, absolutely. From then on then, how have, because the business has obviously come on such a long way in the past five years. What's been your approach to that growth? Has it been quite natural? Yeah, talk me through, I guess, how it's evolved along the way. And I suppose, have you had a let's roll with it and see where it goes? Or have there been certain things that you've really gone by this point? I want to be here. Let's go. 
Yeah, I think from that first event where we really became focused on the business of wellness, the income that that event generated through ticket sales and also getting a sponsor on board who eventually became a very big sponsor enabled me to start to grow my team. Mm -hmm. And I realized very early on that I couldn't do everything myself and that I needed a team behind me. And so that enabled me to hire my first team member. And from then on, it became a more serious business in my mind because I suddenly had an employee that depended on me for her livelihood and full-time, part-time. Yeah, full-time actually. I have to say though, she took an enormous leap of faith to work with me and she's still with me now is our senior editor and saw that it was an exciting business to get involved with because she wanted to write about the industry. She had newly changed her career into journalism and so was willing to not be paid at market rate to make a bit of that sacrifice in order to grow with the business. How did you find her? How did I find her? Do you know what? She found me. She wanted to write about the wellness industry and there weren't that many opportunities. She'd interned at Women's Health and then in looking for her next career move to write about wellness, she'd actually found me and she was incredibly proactive. She wrote a few articles for free to show that she was keen and that she was passionate and that she was willing to go that extra mile. And it helped me to make the decision because in my heart, I was terrified and I wasn't ready to hire somebody full time. But because of her tenacity and because of her passion and because she was persistent, she became a no brainer for me in terms of employing her and the value that that could command. And I also recognized, as you do with any employee that you take on, that by her being available to produce all of that content and to take that off my plate it enabled me to focus more on the revenue generating aspects of the business Mm -hmm. so making sure that our events kept running spending more of my time focused on cementing commercial partners and bringing additional sponsorship on board and looking at other ways to make money in the business so I think at that point up until that point I hadn't had a business plan because it had been accidental it had been experimental But I think once Laura joined the business, it was like, right, we need a plan now. And I started to set clearer goals for myself, income goals, revenue goals, goals to build the team, started a plan of thinking about who I needed to hire next and started to actually also get to know my numbers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big issue for a lot of female founders is if you don't perceive yourself as being business minded or a lot of women who I coach will say, I'm not good with numbers. And I was that person. Spreadsheets terrified me, but I grew to love them. I invested the time and energy in getting to know the numbers and and building out a forecast and starting to think about what I needed to achieve in order to grow and to fulfill the, the mission, which was becoming clearer and clearer every day that we want to help people build incredible businesses Mm. and then eventually to also build successful careers as well. In terms of picking up on the spreadsheets and stuff, there are so many different hats that you have to wear. Which ones, I suppose, have you struggled with most throughout this whole journey? It's such a good question. And I often say business is so much more of a personal development journey than you ever go into it realizing. Mm. And so there are so many moments when you have to determine in your own mind whether you're afraid of doing something because it's out of your comfort zone or whether actually it's just not your zone of genius it's not your skill set and that you would be much better off having somebody else manage that 
that said, I think when you're first starting out, it's really important to understand all of the different facets of your business, even if it's uncomfortable, because you have to juggle all of those different balls and you're spinning so many plates. So for me, I did struggle with the financial side of it, but I figured out how to use zero, how to run a forecast, how to interpret my P&L, how to manage revenue streams, how to manage cash flow. But eventually I got a really amazing accountant who does all of that for me. And so I recognized that I wasn't going to do that forever in the business. And the same with so many other things. Like I enjoyed writing content for the website, but I knew that I didn't want to do that forever. And so that's why hiring a journalist was the first important step for me because content was what was growing the audience in the business. Mm -hmm. But as far as that personal development journey goes, initially, I felt like that was almost an extracurricular activity. Like if I have time, I'll read some personal development books or, you know, I'll listen to podcasts. And actually what I realized over the course of that first two or three years in my business is that I was the most important asset in that business. And if I wasn't growing, learning, developing, challenging myself, conquering old beliefs that were holding me back, conquering the self-doubt that inevitably comes up and finding strategies to be a better version of myself, then the business would never grow. No matter how many great strategies or mentors or even how much cash there was in the business, like it starts Mm -hmm. with you. So I recognize how important it is to do that. And through that personal growth, I grew in confidence and that confidence enabled me to start to build out a team and to delegate and to not need to wear so many hats in the business. Yeah, definitely. Have you enjoyed that responsibility of managing a team? Because I think across the board is one of the, when we talk about challenges, those who have teams, it often comes up as one of the hardest challenges that they have to I suppose, manage. So how have you found it? I think that my personality really lends itself well to leadership. And even though I was the youngest child, two older, bigger brothers, very big brothers, they're both six foot seven. I was always always the, the sort of bossy dominant character in our family. So leadership for me has felt very natural. And I think that's why as part of the evolution of my business, I've evolved into also offering business coaching because I really enjoy leading other women in so many of the ways that you do with your work. That sense of providing um, a leading hand to somebody who is going through struggles that you have been through before. Mm. I really enjoy that and I really enjoy... I actually really enjoy delegating now. I really enjoy empowering my team to say, you've got this, you can do this. And so I haven't so much struggled with it. I've really enjoyed that process and really stepped up to being a leader. And I much prefer to be in that space. And I think that is ultimately the reason why I left my corporate career, because I wanted to be the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) no, that makes complete sense. I do feel when people talk about being the boss, and there's so many amazing parts to it. And like, I definitely think, the Leo in me like the leader comes out but I do feel like with a team especially that sometimes does lend itself to difficult conversations as well so how do you juggle that side of being the boss and I suppose approach those conversations does that come naturally too? Yeah that's a really challenging part and I think especially when you have a small team and you have great relationships with your team because you have to strike this balance of being 
a friend, a leader, sometimes a boss, sometimes having to to have difficult conversations, as you say. And I think that the ease of having difficult conversations comes with the regularity of having fun conversations as well. So having an open dialogue. Mm. And I do my best to always remind my team that my door is open call me if there's a problem. Let's talk about things. So for a long time, I offered my staff an hour with me once a month to just talk about things that are happening in their life and not necessarily work related for them to have a level of trust with me that I want to listen, that I want them to be heard. And I bought into that as difficult as it is sometimes and as uncomfortable as it is to have to hold that space for your team. I bought into that because I had so many managers who weren't interested in knowing anything about me or my life or taking on any of the stuff that was happening outside of of work. Mm. And as a business, I see that as part of my responsibility to make sure that my team are happy at home and at work and to play as much of a role as I can in supporting that. And I don't always get it right. And it's not always, as, as you said, easy, but being open to having conversations and reminding your team that you're available for those conversations as difficult or, you know, as fun as they can be, I think is what sets you up for success with, with the difficult stuff. Absolutely. And um, going back to what you were saying earlier, I suppose the more that you become confident in yourself and trust your capabilities and you know that you're putting that time and energy into improving you, as it were, that naturally lends itself to those difficult conversations and approaching those with confidence and it all kind of feeds into each other doesn't it it all kind of comes together and helps yeah exactly I I I totally agree and I also think when you run a business where you're doing really meaningful work and offering value to people and coming from a place of passion Mm. and wanting to impact people's lives in a positive way I know that I've attracted employees into my business who are totally on board with that They are fundamentally great people. Mm. You know, they love the work that they do. They often tell me how much they enjoy their job. They came from jobs that they didn't like into working for well-to-do. And I hold that responsibility really highly. But I also think that that's why I don't have HR issues. I don't have people issues because I've got a great team. And when you build a business that you're passionate about and that you love and that lights you up, you attract other people, whether that's your employees or your friends or your colleagues or or whatever, you start to just become magnetic to other optimistic, like-minded and deeply fulfilled people. How big is the team now? So we have got three full-time employees. My husband left his job two years ago and joined the business. So we now run it together. And then we outsource quite a lot of things. So we also co-own a digital marketing agency. And so that agency supports our business. We also run a recruitment business, which we co-own. And so we work with a partner there and we have a team under that business. So all in all, there are about 15 people that contribute to well to do in various ways, but the business structure is slightly more complicated than the average business. Just popping on here with a quick reminder that Tide Business Current Accounts happens to be the only place in the UK where you can register a limited company and open a business account in one process for free. For more information and to get started, please do feel free to visit www.tide.co forward slash start or follow the link in this episode's show notes. 
In terms of looking back then, Lauren, obviously my main focus with these is just really trying to understand the realities of what's actually going on behind the scenes and the challenges. So can you pinpoint what the worst day on the job so far has looked like? And I guess talk us through yeah, what it looked like and how it felt and how you overcame it or if you haven't overcome it yet, how you're dealing with it. Mm. For me, a really big part of my personal journey with my business was learning how to do work that I love and make money. And so there was a lot of unpacking of my story and my blueprint around money, around selling, around earning from doing work that I love. And I had a story growing up that work was to not to necessarily be enjoyed. It was a mechanism for making a living. And so I'd been very good at that when I'd been in a job that I hadn't loved. But when I suddenly found myself doing work that I would have been very happy to do for free because I loved doing it so much, there was suddenly this disconnect from charging a fee for it and turning it into a successful, profitable, thriving business, which is another reason that I became a coach because that's something I'm really passionate about is that you can make money and do something you love. But I will never forget the hardest day in the job for me, which was going to catch a train to London to have a meeting. I'd recently moved out of my cushy place in Chelsea that I'd been able to sustain in my corporate job. And I'd actually moved in with my boyfriend who was at the time living with his parents because he was saving to buy a place. And so I'd moved out of London to live in Surrey with my boyfriend's parents. And I went to catch the train one day into London for a meeting and my debit card declined. And it was a really low point for me because in building the business, I'd had taken on this full-time employee, as I told you. So all of the money that we were making as a business was going back into the costs of running the business, of having a small office, of having an employee, of having various other outsource bits. And I had forgotten about myself in all of that. And I'd been paying myself pittance to survive. I remember at the time, like I hadn't had a haircut in like over a year or something. <laughs> And uh, and I remember that debit card declining and just realizing that I had run out of steam because I had forgotten mm. about myself. And it was a real turning point for me because even though on the face of it, the business looks like it was really working and thriving and in so many ways it was, I wasn't able to support myself. And so mm. I knew something had to change. It was at that time that I decided to make an investment in a business coach and I borrowed some money from my parents and was very grateful to be able to do that. I know that's not available to everybody, but I borrowed some money from my parents and that was really hard for me because I'm super independent and have always been, you know, on my own, moved out of home at 17, put myself through uni, etc. So I borrowed some money from my parents and I invested it directly into myself. I took on a business coach. I started to work through these stories around money. I started to unpack a whole load of that personal blueprint around success. And I did the work. I did massive amounts of work. I started reading, journaling, really focusing on who I needed to be to step mm. up and be an entrepreneur. So there was a really low point in all of that where I thought, do I need to just throw the towel in here? There were lots of tears and is this ever going to work out for me? Like everything is going so well. Why aren't I able to sustain it? 
and uh, and it came back to investing in me and it felt selfish it felt indulgent but it was the catalyst mm. for massive amounts of change and within a year we had reached a six figure business like it was radical change it was an incredible pivotal moment for me where i started to really own my desires and my definition of success and really step into that and i attribute it so much to to making that investment in myself that I put that at the top of the list. I invest in coaches. I go to to conferences. I I have mentors. And I think that's such an important part is that we don't think that we need to do it on our own. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I can relate to that. I feel like I'm in the, the bit before where you are. So like the declining the card, I remember my card got declined and going from like a really good salary where I just look back and my 21, 22 year old self was earning a whole lot more than I am now. And it's just that kind of, um, I'm giving up to launch something with She Can, She Did that like I'm just, I'm trying to hold my nerve at the moment and just hope and pray that that's where it changes. But I do feel like, it's almost sometimes, I don't know how you feel about this, but sometimes you have to hit that rock bottom to have that catalyst for change. Do you know what I mean? So however uncomfortable that is, it was the moment that you went through that forced you to do something about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel emotional thinking about it because, you know, at the time it felt hopeless. It felt scary. It felt like I'd put all this effort in and for what? And again, to my boyfriend at the time, Jamie and now my business partner and my husband was just cheering me on madly saying you know like you've come this far you just need to keep going and yeah like that that is a scary Mm. time but I think it is what builds the resilience that you need to be an entrepreneur you need to go through that failure you need to hit that rock bottom you need to know that if something doesn't change if you don't take a chance on yourself and For me, taking that chance on myself was investing £6,000 that I technically didn't have in a coach. And she said to me at the time, this is a signal to the universe that you are ready to level up. You have got skin in the game now. You have to make this work. And she was right. Like I had to make it work. And somehow I did. And it was through hard work, through determination, but it was also because of that resiliency that I had built as a result of the failure and as a result of that declined <laughs> card. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And I'm sure you won't either. No, no, no. I'll never forget that moment because it, it has made you who you are. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned your husband there. I always like talking about relationship, not just family, but friends as well. How have your relationships evolved throughout this whole process as you've become more successful, as you've become, presume, busier and a lot of energy has gone into the business? Yeah. Have you seen any relationships get stronger or weaker throughout the whole process? Yeah. I mean, I would say my friendship circle is completely different now to what it was when I first started my business. And especially because I moved to London, not knowing anybody, not having any family here, not knowing, you know, my now husband, we've met through this journey. And I think, as I said before, when you step into this journey of doing something that you really love and finding fulfillment, you naturally want to gravitate towards other people who are taking those risks Mm. and doing those things. And we are so fortunate because there are so many events that you can go to now. There are so many groups that you can join. Mm. There are so many communities that embody this entrepreneurial journey for women, especially. And so 
I look now at my friendship circle and they are mostly entrepreneurs. If they're not, they're in jobs that they're extremely passionate about. And that helps me with my journey. It forces me to level up. I'm sure you've heard this quote, but it said that you're the product of the five people that you spend the most time with. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. And if you can have those people around you that also want to do deeply fulfilling work and make money and be successful and live a life of freedom and have that choice, it's so empowering. And it's so, so lovely to be able to have that around you. It really, I know it has really played a big role in the journey that I've been on. And I'm very fortunate that Jamie and I now work together, that he is super bought into this mission and that we get to spend every day together. And for some couples, that might sound like the worst thing in the world, but we genuinely feel really lucky and really blessed that we're able to. And as I mentioned, being from Australia, one of my big missions for running a business was that I could split my time between the UK and Australia. And we, for the last four years, have been successfully able to increase that time that we spend each year. And so now it's two months in January, February that we get to go out and spend that time with my family and also run the business from Australia. That's amazing. That's the thing, isn't it? There's just like... You can't get that when you work for someone else unless they send you out there. Like the the freedom that it kind of brings you. I always think stories like that are when it's like you realise just how liberating being your own boss is. It's it's amazing, like holding the reins like that. I was going to ask, though, how do you and Jamie make sure that you or what's your approach, I suppose, to juggling the balance and making sure there is time for just being, you know, husband and wife and not business partners? Yeah, I mean, we both have our own personal hobbies and interests. Jamie is really into cycling. And so he will do 200 miles a week. And that's a lot of time on your bike. So Mm -hmm. actually, we, we already get that time apart. And that's really healthy for us that we do also have our own interests and that we have some of our own friends and that fundamentally, we do make time to not talk about work and we're actually quite good at kind of switching off on weekends occasionally we'll do bits and pieces but fundamentally our weekends we spend doing things that we love together and they're pretty Mm. simple things like walking we live in Surrey we love spending time with friends and I think it's just about being boundaried and also just having lines of communication you know sometimes we'll be lying in bed and Jamie will say something about some automation funnel that we're building and and I'll just be like you know not now and (laughs) and and the other way around as well you know like sometimes it's just not the right time but it's just being comfortable to say I do want to talk about this but let's talk about it another time but he's very relaxed and is is very much like a rock for me so we're quite complementary in our personalities and and that bodes quite well as a business partnership as well no that's amazing you mentioned seeing friends there at the weekends obviously we're in lockdown so it's kind of all been on pause for a moment how has covid impacted obviously the past couple of months have just been so surreal like we were saying before you started recording how has COVID impacted Well-To-Do? And I guess, how have you approached that adjustment? Mm. So we run a 400-person conference every year in central London, as well as about 10 other events throughout the year. And so we initially shifted that conference from, it would have been last week, actually, on the 11th of June. We shifted it to September. And then about two weeks ago, we decided to actually do you know what? There's too much uncertainty to plan this. We can't confirm speakers. 
we would rather put our effort into organizing things with certainty and making a new plan and pivoting than speculating about whether or not people will be comfortable to sit in a conference room. And so it's enabled us to become much more digital. We were already quite digital, but we have managed to continue to run our events online as webinars. And actually, it's been amazing to see where people who were already in our community but weren't able to come and join us in London for a physical event have been able to show up on on Zoom and join us in that digital capacity. And so it's actually been a really exciting time. And I said to you, you know, before we started recording, I've focused my energy on what I can do to make this the best thing that has happened to our business. And Mm. that doesn't mean it hasn't been challenging. It doesn't mean that we haven't lost money, but we have focused our energy on where we can solve new problems for people based on what is going on. And Richard Branson says, business is just about solving problems for people. So in the midst of COVID, there were plenty of things that businesses needed support with. And so we shifted our focus to this partnership we have with an accounting firm and said we we could really step that up and say, what can people do to shift their financials and leverage government assistance and really started to speak that language of pivoting and getting the messaging right. And in doing so, we have seen a really positive outcome. And for me, I'm really excited because I actually really wanted our business to be more digital, but there were a lot of fears getting in the way of shifting the model. And we've been forced to, and it's been ultimately a really positive outcome for us. I remember when it was all unfolding, even amidst the panic, there was just this like underlying gut feeling that that panic didn't need to necessarily be there because there are opportunities that will 100% come out of this. And like you said, you've had no choice but to switch to digital and it's provided people with that opportunity to make those changes that they've been putting off for ages or been sitting on. And yeah, I think this has given me a kick up the bum to try different things in other ways and stuff. I really do genuinely believe all of us will look back on this and see the positives as well. Because yeah, it's just been testing but in a good way it's kept us all on our toes Lauren (laughs) yeah absolutely and obviously like we were talking about before the mic came on we're about two weeks after George Floyd's death and the subsequent Black Lives Matter kind of came to a headache once again and rightly so obviously the wellness industry was put on the spotlight I suppose with the lack of diversity in it. I really wanted to get your opinion on how I guess you handled and responded to that Yeah, so we are fundamentally a digital media brand and we publish content and we are relied upon by the wellness industry for insights and how to react to certain things. And the Black Lives Matter movement is a really critical conversation that the wellness industry needs to have. And it has, as you say, been put under the spotlight. So the role that I felt our business should play in that is to amplify the voices of those who, from either experience or deep knowledge and understanding, could shed light on how the industry should and can respond to the issues that it faces of lack of diversity, of lack of representation of people of colour, of lack of access, lack of fair pay, all of those things. And so... The first thing we did was we put together a document of voices that we needed to amplify within the industry. And even in that process, we were challenged ourselves as a business to say Mm. that list should be longer. You know, we should know who these people are. And so we really, as a team, put our head together and say, firstly, what's the appropriate message for us to put out? 
that isn't tokenism that really is coming from a place of genuine concern for what we have done so far and you know I heard you mention it in your first episode for this season to really acknowledge that whilst we don't consider ourselves to be racist in any way as a brand are we being anti-racist and that's the conversation that our team had and so we then took steps to reach out to those voices to give them an opportunity to use our platform to share their insights and their expertise on the matter because we recognize within ourselves we're not experts and so we as one example one of my business coaching clients actually her name's Sarah Greenidge she runs a business called Well Spoken And it's all about adding credibility to the wellness industry and setting standards for the industry. And she is also a person of color. And so Sarah was a perfect spokesperson for us to publish content in partnership with to say, what does the wellness industry need to do? And it needs to work on all of those areas I mentioned before, diversity, education, representation, fairer pay, actually creating practical scenarios that brands can respond to and to take action on so that they don't feel that they don't know what to do and therefore they're not going to do anything Mm. so it for us was about taking that responsibility as an educational platform as an industry platform to use it in the most effective way to amplify the most powerful voices and to also acknowledge just generally that the industry can do better and to start to rework our editorial strategy so that it's not just a temporary response mm, yeah that we are actually looking to make longer term changes so that this isn't just a two-week movement that this is a lifelong change that disrupts that systemic racism that we now understand more about and that's the thing isn't it I think going back to the tokenism thing it's like when brands make those commitments to change, there needs to be an element of time where they can put that into practice. And then it's like, call them out six months down the line, call them out a year down the line. But there needs to be, if they're holding hands up and saying, this is how it's going to be from now on, that opportunity to, I guess, stay true to their word and and rise to that responsibility, I guess. Yeah, and there were brands that were called out for not saying anything. There were brands that were called out for being tokenistic and it's been difficult to navigate. However, it has to be a sustained conversation. It can't be a temporary black square response or one or two articles. And that's going to be the challenge. And that's the challenge that I'm rising to that has been presented to me by so many amplified melanated voices over the last few weeks on social that it's time to step up and take action. Yeah, yeah, hugely. I had that conversation quite a few times. It's like what you put out there, if you know in your gut that you can, like you said, rise to it, then in terms of navigating it, it's kind of taking all on board. And then whatever commitments only commit if you're willing to actually do the work, if that makes sense. Yeah. In terms of going forward then, Lauren, where do you see the business going? What do you want well to do to look like in five, 10 years time? Um, Can you see yourself doing this forever? Such an interesting question. I am still playing with those ideas. But what I do know is that the business coaching side of what I do really lights me up. I love working with female entrepreneurs within the wellness industry. And so much of what I've built with well to do has given me a foundation for that. And so well to do will continue to become a really powerful vehicle for growth and innovation in the wellness industry. And that's our mission. 
but my vision is to continue to build the team around that because for me there are certain things that I want to do with my coaching business there are certain things that I want the team to be able to achieve without the business being solely reliant on me and that's been a really important thing for me that's why I called it well to do and not the Lauren Arms business yeah yeah it gives you the opportunity to kind of distance yourself a bit doesn't it yeah yeah, and that's important for me in terms of my lifestyle goals of being able to have a break from the business if I need to or to go away and, and take a holiday. And so in terms of the vision, it's to continue to grow our global impact because we started out as being very UK and London focused, but we now publish content that's globally relevant. With our careers platform, it's also quite London heavy in terms of job opportunities. And so we're scaling that into new cities. So the vision mm-hmm. is to be the go-to global resource for businesses in the wellness industry for multiple services and for their industry intel really so I want to have a business that allows me to also be a mom and not just an entrepreneur I don't want that to be my whole identity and so it's just finding creative ways to scale up and to empower a team and to have a bigger impact but also to be able to enjoy my life at the same time and to travel and to do all of the other things that I enjoy as well because you're allowed to do both yeah totally you are allowed to do both (laughs) I love that okay to end then Lauren I always end with some statements so I'll start and I'd like you to finish please being my own boss means having total freedom over where my life takes me Australia for two months exactly it's good or longer yeah (laughs) um when it's not quite going to plan my advice would be to um do the inner work yeah so If it's not going to plan, ask yourself what stories are playing in your mind about those obstacles or those rejections or, you know, if you're trying to sell something and you're getting a no, you know, what story is playing about that no? What needs to change within you in order to change your outside world, which is your business, your strategy, your marketing and all of those things. But start with the inner work, sit with a journal sit with a mentor sit with a friend and get it out and rewrite the story and that changes everything yeah such a powerful answer no one's ever said that if I could describe myself as a businesswoman I'd say that I am um a straight shooter <laughs> I don't know why that's <laughs> but um you know as a coach as a as a boss like uh, I don't know I, I try not to beat around the bush too much is that an Australianism beat around the bush <laughs> Okay, I well. <laughs> sometimes I need to check whether that actually makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty straight up and I like to make yeah. decisions quickly and act quickly. Perfect. Um, if I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself? Um, to persist, to persist, yeah. For all of those reasons that I shared with you before, that in the darkest hours and the moments when you're on the floor and bits crying and wondering whether it's ever going to work for you, persist. Yeah. Love that. And very lastly, I want my legacy to be that. Um, I made a positive impact and that I lived my life in service and yeah, that I had fun along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Honestly, that was so inspiring. I loved that. That That's really good. Oh, thank you so much for your such great questions and such an easy chat. Yeah, no, thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind, as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it. For now, though, enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode. Thank you.